The Center for Research on Global Catholicism is hosting a conference at St. Louis University October 20th through 21st. This interdisciplinary conference breaks new ground and opens new lines of inquiry into the translation, transgression, and transformation of Catholicism as it has circulated globally across cultural spaces through the traffic and transfer of material cultures. Check out the program at www.slu.edu slash CRGC. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis arrives in France today, visiting Marseille to show solidarity with the plight of migrants there. The visit came as Europe's migration dilemma is again in the headlines after thousands of people arrived last week at the Italian island of Lampedusa. This past weekend, Pope Francis traveled to Marseille, France, for a meeting of bishops and young people from around the Mediterranean basin, where the Pope delivered a powerful message about integrating migrants into society. More than 400 participants from all over the world will gather in Rome next month for the Synod on Synodality. The diverse group of Synod participants will gather in Rome for nearly a month to discuss how to move forward together as one Catholic Church. Next, several major Vatican events are coming up this week. First, the consistory to create new cardinals on September 30th, the opening of the Synod on Synodality, and Laudato Si 2.0. In the second half of our show, we will explain everything you need to know. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. We're looking forward to your arrival. Yeah, me too. Uh, It'll be a couple weeks until I'm in Rome. I'll arrive on October 12th, but our America team will be funneling into Rome in the early days of October, early next week for the Synod. It's going to be really exciting. Also, uh, before we get into our stories, I wanted to make clear for our listeners that I was out last week on jury duty. I got some concerned messages asking where I was. (laughs) But thank you to you and Ricardo for holding down the fort while I was gone. For our first story, Pope Francis traveled to Marseille, France this past weekend for a short trip Friday to Saturday, the 22nd to 23rd, for a regional gathering of bishops and other representatives from Mediterranean countries. This week-long meeting covered a wide range of topics, but Pope Francis focused primarily on the migration crisis, which had recently come into the headlines again just before his visit. The previous week, 8,500 people arrived at the southern Italian island of Lampedusa, the place where Pope Francis first visited when he became Pope. 8,500 people over the course of only three days. And then just before the Pope arrived in France, that country announced that they would no longer accept refugees who had arrived in Italy. So Jerry, you followed this trip closely. Let's talk about the three big moments from this trip, beginning with the Pope's visit to a memorial for sailors and refugees who had drowned in the Mediterranean. What stood out to you about that moment? Well, it was a very striking moment because it was roughly 10 years after he went to Lampedusa for his first visit. Right, 2013. Mm -hmm. The sadness in him that we saw on that first visit to Lampedusa, he said later on, I'm not the first pope to raise the question of my immigration, migration. Right. And he sort of said this in response to 
some critics who are saying, well, what does this pope who's not from Europe uh, have to say about this? Why should we listen to him? Francis, uh, he went to this m- memorial, right. which has a kind of a, a, a cross in front of it, which uh, or a symbol which represents faith, hope, and charity. The faith in the cross, the hope represented by the anchor, and, and the charity re- represented by the, the basin of the memorial. And Francis went there to pay tribute to those who have died, both sailors and migrants. And he said, our Mediterranean Sea, which we call Mare Nostrum, our sea, he says, is Mare Mortuum, the sea of the dead, because so many people have died in in the Mediterranean in these centuries. He said, let us not get used to considering shipwrecks as news stories and deaths at sea as numbers. I think of so many brothers and sisters drowned in fear, along with the hopes they carried in their hearts. Face with such a drama, we need deeds, not words. And this has been his message throughout. You know, we've had too many talks, too many comments, positive and negative. We need action. This is what he was calling the Catholic diocese from the different parts of the Mediterranean basin to come and get energized and start. This was maybe the the second big moment that you pointed out uh, when we were preparing for this episode was uh, this. the first moment was that visit to the memorial. The second is this talk that he gave to the bishops and young people. Um, and I just wanted to expand a little on what you said about taking action. Pope Francis has said, the same few things over and over again. I looked up yesterday. It looks like he started saying this in 2017. He said he has four action points for migration. To welcome migrants, to integrate them into society, to promote them, help them uh, succeed in society, and to protect them, to give them legal protection, their, protect their right not just to migrate, but also the right to remain if they so choose, which can also be extremely unsafe and is what drives people to migrate so often. Yes, it was very strong about the integration because people welcome them, then then they leave them to themselves. This has happened in France, and so it was a, a very specific thing. But Francis also said, you know, th- this is not invasion. As it's been characterized by some on the far right in France. There's a lot of populist politicians and media which are characterizing the arrival of the migrants as an invasion or as an emergency. And he says it is neither. It's not an invasion. These are people who are fleeing poverty, war, climate situations, where they can live a dignified life, and they're willing to make their commitment. And he said, so it's wrong to classify it as an invasion. And and th- th- this is hitting out uh, as, at uh, politicians here in Europe, but also in other parts of the world, including the United States. Jerry, some had expected the Pope to focus only on migration, and he even had some criticism ahead of the visit saying, you know, okay, the Pope is only only focused on migration. He's not going to talk about these other issues that are happening in France right now, including uh, abortion and euthanasia. The French are about to consider a law 
that would legalize uh, medical assistance in dying, to, to borrow the Canadian term. Um, but Francis did speak about these things. He compared uh, what he called the, the supposedly sweet death by euthanasia with the, quote, salty death of migrants in the Mediterranean. And he said, we need to fight against both. Yes, he was speaking in a broad ethic of life of protecting life from the beginning. He also mentioned non-born children to uh, people reaching the end of their life and needing a dignified exit. And he was really focusing on the dignity of people. People expected him to come out shouting on on the euthanasia question, but he he didn't do that. Jerry, the third moment I wanted to ask you about is this big mass. Uh, Pope Francis held an outdoor or open air mass in the famous Marseille Velodrome, which is, I believe, the second largest stadium in France. Um, 57,000 people attended, according to the organizers. And then it was reported that another 100,000 came to see the Pope on the streets. What did you make of this moment? Well, You know, Francis said before he went, he said, I'm going to Marseille, not to France. But he he contradicted himself uh, on a number of occasions. And at the beginning of Mass, he said, Bonjour, Marseille. Bonjour, La France. And so, you know, good morning to France. Right. And it wasn't a state visit, but he met with Macron. Like it was, there were a lot of things that made it look like a state visit. Yes. The president Macron of France was at all the major events that Francis participated in at the memorial, at the encounter with the bishops from the Mediterranean basin, and at the mass. I saw him applauding many times what the Pope was saying. And now, of course, he's, he ran into some criticism, the president, because Francis meant to be lay country, in other words, total separations, religion and state. Yeah, the laicite, right? And what was striking about the mass, Colleen, I think was the enthusiasm the, the way that people responded to Francis. And he said, you know, we need a leap forward, a leap in faith, a leap in hope. And uh, it showed that even in a France where there are now a lot of people who don't believe in anything, uh, the message was getting through. It was carried in all the main television channels, the main newspapers. And somehow Francis is getting his message through to people who would not normally darken the doors of the church. Cherry, one last question on this trip. On the plane ride home, Pope Francis was asked about the situation in Ukraine, and he said that he was growing frustrated uh, with it. Can you tell me about why? In the last program, you remember, Colleen, we said that Minister Lavrov, the, the Russian foreign minister, had said he was, would invite uh, Archcardinal Zupi, without naming him, to, to Moscow again. Then some days later, after our program had gone out, the deputy foreign minister said, there's no such plan. Oh. And so a certain frustration from Francis is not surprising because he's pushing, knocking at various doors, but still the killing is going on. And Russia has now upped its spending in military aid to 6% of its gross domestic product, which is very high. Uh, Most countries have about 2%. Then he said, but I notice some are beginning to pull back in relation to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Some other countries. He said some countries are are beginning to pull back. In other words, they're not sending arms or threatening not to send arms. And he said, this will end up in the martyrdom of the people. And that is bad. And it's, it's a surprising statement because he was saying, you know, you're, you're beginning not to help Ukraine 
to defend their own lives. But of course, anything he says on the Ukraine-Russian war is read in one way and in another way. And this sparked again discussion. Mm -hmm. All right, Jerry, that does it for our coverage of the Marseille story. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll look ahead to all of the events coming up in the Vatican this week. Stay with us. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. If you can believe it, this is our last episode before several major church events, including the Falcon Sistery for the creation of new cardinals, the release of the new and updated Laudato Si, which is supposed to come out October 4th, and the opening of the Synod on Synodality's first Roman meeting. That's also on October 4th. So to tide our listeners over until our next episode, we wanted to give a rundown of what you need to know about each of these upcoming events. First off, the consistory for the creation of 21 new cardinals will be held September 30th in St. Peter's Basilica. Jerry, really quickly, who are some of these 21 new cardinals we should have our eyes on? Well, you have uh, Cardinal-elect Prevost, who was born in Chicago, who's now the prefect of the dicastery, that's the Vatican Department for Bishops. You have also the uh, nuncio, the Vatican's ambassador to the United States, the Frenchman Christophe Pierre, from that's from the United States' point of view. Uh, there are 21 cardinals in all. 18 of them will be electors. That means they can vote in a conclave. And that will take the number of cardinals, electors, that's those who, who can vote, up to 97, I think. Vote for the next pope, we should make clear. Almost 73% of the cardinals who will vote in the conclave immediately after the 30th of September, would be cardinals chosen by Francis. Right. He's now appointed 99 of what will be 137 cardinal electors. Jerry, uh, anyone else we should keep our eyes on? Well, of course, there's a very interesting is the cardinal uh, Stephen Chow mm -hmm. from Hong Kong. Right. He will be the third cardinal that Hong Kong has. And he's a Jesuit. And he is a, a relatively young man. He's seen as a bridge builder with Beijing. And he's already been to Beijing. And he's met with some of the authorities there, the church authorities, but also at other levels, the civil. Uh, 
And uh, he's seen as a very uh, up-and-coming man in terms of the church in China. And then uh, we have, of course, from Francis's own country, he's brought his ghostwriter. Yes. His theologian, the mm -hmm. theologian who was with him at Aparecida in 2007, mm -hmm. when they wrote that document, the Aparecida document, which really is a, the background or blueprint for Francis's own papacy. And this man, mm -hmm. Fernandez, Tucho Fernandez, he will be made cardinal, and Francis has appointed him as prefect, that's head of the dicastery, the Vatican Department, for the doctrine of the faith. And this, got, this means that Francis has really a very close theologian and friend now in the Vatican with him. And he's already started work in these past weeks, and he's been meeting bishops' conferences. He would play a big role, I think, in the future of the, this papacy. Jerry, I want to ask you a quick follow-up question on this, because uh, even in your story about this consistory, although you've said it many, many times, and uh, it's, a, it's a frequently explored theme in terms of Pope Francis's cardinal appointments, he's often going to the peripheries, trying to appoint cardinals from places that are not well represented. He's been trying to make it less European, less Italian, which have historically, you know, been a been a overrepresented group in the College of Cardinals. Um, but when I look at this list, I'm seeing Privo, the prefect for the Dicastery of Bishops. There's the pre new prefect of the Dicastery for Oriental Churches. And now there's this prefect for the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith. These are curial appointments. There was so much to do about the fact that in the Pope's Curia Constitution that came out last year, losing track now, that these departments would not have to be headed by cardinals necessarily. Now we're seeing him make all of them cardinals. Why Why is this? Well, I, I think uh, the particular offices that you're dealing with, the question of the the head of the Dicastery, the Department for Bishops, it would be strange if that one was not a cardinal because he's dealing with the bishops around the world, with the appointment of bishops. And historically, way, way back, this has been the case. The same is too true for the Doctrine of the Faith Department, that historically, right from its or origin, a cardinal has headed this. But it's historically true for all of them. The head today of the uh, uh, Vatican Finances Head of the Dicastery for Finances, the department is a layman, a Spanish layman. The head of the Vatican's Department for Communications is an Italian layman. Got it. So it sounds like you're saying that the the transformation can happen, but in these three cases, it was important to him to have these people be cardinals. Francis did say that it wasn't necessary that the head of the curial departments would be cardinals. And as I said, there are two today who aren't, and maybe tomorrow there could be a third. Who won't be? Mm -hmm. I won't say which I think will. This will be, uh, <laughs> and it could even be headed by a woman. You're never willing to look into your crystal ball for me, Jerry. <laughs> uh, one last cardinal elect who I, I would like to mention here is uh, Archbishop Pierre Battista Pizzaballa, who has been the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, who's been just navigating a really difficult situation for his patriarchate in Jerusalem for a while now, and. I mean, he's just, he's a really powerful speaker. I i was excited to see him on this list. Yes, he's a Franciscan. And, and this is another fact that Francis has appointed, I think there may be more than 30 
members of religious orders who are now electors. I think this is the highest number we've had for, I don't know how far back, maybe ever. And he has created a college of cardinals now who will elect his successor, which is unlike any such college of cardinals that we've had in the past. And Jerry, you remember a, a few weeks ago we spoke about these appointments of relatively younger bishops, men under 50, uh, to major dioceses. Yes, he's got a, quite a number of young young cardinals, which means they will be there for this conclave, next conclave, and perhaps for the conclave after. Francis is thinking ahead. He's looking to the future of the church. He's not looking backwards. Let's talk about uh, the follow-up to Laudato Si. This is expected to come out October 4th, the day that the Synod officially opens. Uh, remember, Laudato Si was Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical on care for our common home, for the environment, for the poor. We learned recently that the new encyclical, part two, will be called Laudate Deum, or Praise God. Do you think this change in title is significant? And do we know any more about this? Well, I, I think we know three things about it. First of all, it's not an encyclical. It's called an apostolic exhortation. Oh, I'm sorry. Laudato Si was an encyclical. Uh, really, it's a follow-up document. I, I think we should put it this way, a follow-up document, which seeks to Look at what has happened since the Paris Conference on Climate Change in 2015, which which took place in the November, December after. Right. Laudato Si was seen in part as Pope Francis's kind of contribution ahead of the Paris Accords. Yes. And many observers, heads of state, recognized that it, it had a significant impact on several countries. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it's going to be a follow-up. It looks what has happened or not happened since then and natural disasters that have happened, the failure to respect the commitments made at these international conferences and what is needed. So it will be reviewing what has happened in these uh, eight years since 2015, and it will look at what needs to be done. Secondly, the title is, is of course, Praise God. The first one was... Praised Be, right? Yeah. From the Canticle of St. Francis of Assisi. Mm -hmm. We don't know much more about it than that, except that it's... It's going to look to the future, and I think, I suspect, it will also seek to connect with the younger generations and give them encouragement and saying, you're on the right track with your, you know, Fridays for the future, these kind of protests. You have to wake the consciences of humanity today, and I think he's going to come behind it and call the nations, the governments, to their responsibilities, but also say, let's not leave it all in the hands of government. Let's get action from the grassroots mm -hmm. to ensure that we have a future planet that is capable of guaranteeing survival to humanity. Right. Jerry, that comes out the same day as the Synod on Synodality opens. On the 30th, you have the consistory. But that evening, we have a very important ecumenical vigil in Rome. And the Pope has invited the leaders of the different ecumenical churches. Why? Patriarch Bartholomew is coming, for example. Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Several other religious leaders are coming. Why? Because the Synod on Synodality will impact on how the Catholic Church relates to the other Christian churches. And so the, there will be a big uh, event in St. Peter's Square on the evening of the 30th, 
preceded by some days in Rome, led by the Tese community. Mm -hmm. One thing I also think is really interesting about that ecumenical event you mentioned, it's called Together. Um, it's, it's also focused on bringing together young people to pray for the success of the Synod. Like you mentioned, the Tese community, that community is always full of young people going to make pilgrimages and, and participate in the, the special kind of uh, prayer that the Tese community specializes in. But yeah, I think it's going to be a really cool event. A lot of excitement and good energy around the beginning of the Synod. I think it'll be really exciting to see. So between October 1st, the day after the consistory mentioned, through October 3rd, the Synod participants will be on retreat to kind of spiritually prepare for the Synod. And then on October 4th, the Synod opens with this big mass in St. Peter's. Uh, our listeners won't be hearing from us until just after that opens, but uh, we wanted to give them a rundown of, of what we have planned. So America is going to have a team of five people covering the Synod. It'll be you and me, plus Zach and Ashley, the hosts of the Jesuitical Podcasts, and our executive producer for audio and video, Sebastian Gomes. Uh, we're planning to put out a couple of episodes of each podcast per week, so you'll be getting more inside the Vatican. Uh, and in addition to our coverage of the Synod, you, you can subscribe to America's daily newsletter to receive a Synod diary from a member of our team every single day. So I'll put a link to subscribe to that in the show notes and a link to where you can find all of our Synod coverage. It's americamagazine.org slash Synod. So just go ahead and bookmark that for the next month. Jerry, you will also be joining our hosts, speaking of young adults, on the Jesuitical podcast, uh, which is our young adult podcast. Uh, you're going to join them next week. They'll be in Rome uh, and you'll be answering some listener questions about the Synod. Probably like pretty basic stuff, not super into the weeds, but this episode will be co-published in the Inside the Vatican feed as well. And our listeners can send your questions for Jerry to insidethevatican at americamedia.org. If you just send those to us, we'll make sure they get to the Jesuitical team and they might be answered by Jerry on air. So that is all for this week. Uh, really thrilling week ahead of us. There's going to be so much to read. I'll have links to read all of it in the show notes. And one last thing before we go, uh, our colleague, Father James Martin, has a new book about the raising of Lazarus. It's called Come Forth. It's published by Harper One, and it's available everywhere books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. And we'll also be seeing Jim at the Senate. <laughs> all right, Jerry, uh, it's been great talking to you about all this. I cannot wait to get into Synod coverage with you. This is a thrilling time in the life of the church, and I'm, I'm glad to be covering it with you. I look forward to your coming, Colleen, and to the other colleagues. I think it's going to be very exciting. I think uh, we'll try to do our best to give a, a comprehensive coverage to enable people to understand what really is at stake, because this is a pivotal moment in the, in the history of the Church since the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. All right, Jerry, we will see you next week in the thick of the Synod. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo da Silva. Production assistance from Delaney Coyne. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. This show is recorded in part at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter, or X, at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside, without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me there at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E. -L -L -E -E, and you can find Jerry at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. 
please consider becoming a digital subscriber to American Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time.